Welcome to the Spirited Advocate Podcast, brought to you by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States, the leading voice for the distilled spirits industry. Now your host, Chris Wonger. Welcome, everybody, to the Spirited Advocate Podcast. We are lucky today to be joined with Congressman John Yarmouth, the chairman of the House Budget Committee and the longstanding chairman of the House uh, Bourbon Caucus. Congressman Yarmouth, thank you for joining us today. We're really, really pleased to have you with us. Well, it's good to be with you, Chris, and uh, this is uh, a topic that I love to talk about, so uh, uh, this is something I've been looking forward to very much. Yeah, well, we're we're lucky to have your leadership in the House of Representatives, and uh, before we get started, uh, we just really, uh, we're all uh, thinking and very, very sad about the developments of last week. Uh, with Congressman Andy Barr's wife, uh, just tough going. And, uh, you know, the bourbon industry, uh, we're a family, an extended, big, extended family. And uh, Congressman Barr has been a strong advocate for our industry. And uh, the unexpected passing of uh, his wife, Carol, is just sad. And I know you share with me in that regard. So uh, uh, I know you share with me that uh, his family's in our hearts and prayers for sure. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Chris. It's a, a tragic event. And, uh, you know, in this highly partisan world, uh, I, I hope that people recognize that just as uh, the distilling industry is one big family, actually, uh, Congress is one big family, too. And while we disagree uh, uh, sometimes vehemently on policy, uh, we understand the common venture that we're a part of and particularly with somebody who's in your own state's delegation because while I'm the only Democrat uh, among uh, Republicans, we all get along very well personally and we always cooperate when Kentucky interests are uh, involved and that's certainly been the case with Andy and me and and, uh, distillers and and the bourbon industry. And we all are, are just crushed over uh, the loss of Carol, and uh, we feel very strongly. We, we uh, wish the, the best for Andy and, and uh, their two daughters. Two daughters. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what's unique about uh, the bourbon industry and our industry, it, it really does bring people together, right? And, uh, you know, as, as the general public certainly expects, spectates from afar, uh, at the end of the day, you know, th- there is a lot of things out in the social media land and so forth. But at the end of the day, we're all people and we all have to come together right. and all humans. Uh, and the relationship that you've had with the uh, congressional delegation at Kentucky, we can all agree to disagree at times, but then really, really come together when, when, it, when it matters the most. Uh, well, so, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll say one other thing. We you know, people really, uh, it's unfortunate people really don't understand how much we get along uh, personally yeah. and, and out of the spotlight. We all understand that we're involved in political theater to a certain extent, uh, but by and large, we all uh, get along very well. I commute every week uh, with with uh, Jamie Comer, and we become very, very good friends. So uh, it's not as bad as it looks from the outside. Yeah, on polar opposite worlds from, from the <laughs> politics of things. So, well, right. Congressman, yeah, you joined in Congress back in 2006, 2007, when the first things that you did 
uh, was have the vision of creating uh, the Congressional Bourbon Caucus, which is just uh, really awesome. Could, could you just tell us a little bit why, why you decided to come to Congress and uh, what's that experience, experience been like? And uh, uh, just tell us about the Bourbon Caucus, if you could. Sure. Well, uh, as to how I got to Congress, uh, it was the last thing on my mind uh, in, uh, back in 2005. I had been in journalism most of my uh, recent, then recent uh, uh, life, and I was leading the perfect life. I'd sold a publication that I'd started. I was uh, really working three or four hours a week, doing a lot of civic and charitable work, playing a lot of golf. Uh, it was kind of the perfect life. But then uh, you know, Jack Conway, who I thought was going to yeah. run for this seat in 2006, decided not to. And it occurred to me that I was the only person who had a chance to beat the then incumbent, uh, Ann Northup. And that while I was not looking for a new career, I thought it was if I could be part of the then 15 seats that we needed to flip uh, from Republican to Democrat, then I could help stop the George Bush agenda, which I uh, very much opposed. Passionate about. And, uh, and then, uh, so the rest is history. I, I thought, well, even if I don't like the job, it'll be worth doing if I can help flip the house. And uh, here I am uh, 14 years later. Which he did, because 2006, yep. that was a wave when uh, Democrats took over the House, uh, right. for sure. Yeah, we actually uh, flipped 36 that, that year. But so um, I, uh, when I got there, I can't, I can't really say that the Bourbon Caucus was a vision of mine. But one day I was walking with Mike Thompson, who represents Napa Valley. And yeah. he, he said, we're having a wine caucus meeting. Uh, uh, tomorrow night or uh, an event, why don't you join us? And my immediate thought was, wine caucus, is there a bourbon caucus? He said, I don't think there is. And I said, well, there should be since bourbon is America's <laughs> only, only indigenous spirit. So uh, I got to work. At first calls I made were to the other members of the Kentucky delegation, and all but one uh, agreed to help me uh, found it. And uh, now we have members from across the country, uh, Republicans and Democrats. It's it's truly a, a it's probably the most popular caucus in Congress and, and very, very bipartisan. No doubt about it. it it's it's really a, a testament to the legacy of bourbon, what bourbon has contributed to the fabric of our country, the economic vitality uh, and so forth. Uh, so. Uh, Congressman, you know, the country's been grappling with a lot over the last three months. It's just really hard to take it all in, certainly over the last two or three weeks uh, with the George Floyd killing and so forth. And in Louisville in particular has had its own challenges. And I know Mayor Fisher and you've been in the middle of that with the, uh, the, the sad death of Breonna Taylor as well. Uh, we're all anxious to help address, you know, the long-term uh, uh, inequity uh, with our African-American uh, brothers and sisters. Uh, do you have some hope that things can come together and Republicans and Democrats can come together, certainly working with the important role that law enforcement plays, but also uh, learning from the events of the last three or four weeks and really uh, bringing the country together? Well, I, I am optimistic. I think the protests we've seen, not just in in Louisville and Kentucky, but across the 
not just across the country, but across the world. The world, uh, yeah. Which are, which are very, very diverse um, and very young is is promising. And they're, they're about so much more than, than uh, police treatment of, of black black citizens. Uh, clearly, that's a huge problem and uh, one which is a continuing shame uh, for this country uh, because it, it is from the legacy of slavery and white, and white uh, supremacy. And we have, to, we have to deal with that. And Chris, you said, I think the most important thing that you said, what can we do? And yeah. the importance of that is that government certainly has a role here. Government has a role in policy, particularly with regard to policing. Uh, but it's not just government. It cannot be just government. It has to be uh, corporate America. It has to be the nonprofit sector. It has to be the education system. We all have to focus on that very, very uh, intently and intent intentionally. Uh, yeah. Every day. Was, every, every day. day. And it's a marathon, I, right? Yeah. I, I tell the story, I, you know, I was fortunate enough to go to Yale University, and a few years ago, I was writing a column on for Black History Month, and I decided to go get my, I still had my uh, uh, Yale University American History textbook, so I pulled it out. There were 800 pages in that textbook, and it was written by the great historians of, of uh, that, that time, Arthur Schlesinger Jr. and C. Van Woodward and many others. In that book, there were two mentions of blacks by name. Wow, that's pretty telling. Out of, eight, out of 800 pages. And I said, you know, white America has been cheated out of a great history uh, because we've been cheated out of the history of black America. And, you know, I'm an avid golfer. I found out that the golf tee, which I use more than a knife and fork, because I use it 18 times during absolutely, the yeah, absolutely uh, was invented by a black dentist named G, Dr. G. W. Grant. Whoever would have thought that the Who golf would have thought that was invented by a, a black American. So, um, but but we have plenty of work to do, and uh, and again, it's it's all hands on deck. We definitely have a role as as policymakers and as legislators, and we're trying to deal with that now in Congress with the. Uh, the George Lloyd uh, Justice and Policing Act, which will pass uh, uh, next week. No, yeah. actually, we're going to pass uh, as this as week. we're being watched. Yeah, we're going to pass it this week. Um, we'll see what happens in the Senate. The Senate has uh, their their own ideas. Hopefully, we can get something to, uh, together and, and pass something and send it to the president. Uh, but again, it's it's corporate America and everybody else. And I think corporate America is beginning to stand up. Uh, they, they recognize yeah. the responsibility they have. <laughs> I look at my own institution when I, uh, this is another kind of aha moment. I went back uh, several years ago and, because I was thinking my impression of Yale was that there were a fair amount of, of black students there because several of them were good friends of mine. I went back and got our freshman yearbook out and walked and looked at all the, the, the freshman photos. And to the extent that you can tell from a photo, which sure. is not always, yeah. uh, there were no more than ten African American freshmen out of class out of a class of a thousand. And and you say, well, maybe it wasn't intentional discrimination. It doesn't have to be intentional. Not much. Yeah. A lot of racism in this country is not intentional. But with the legacy system, with high tuition and lower student aid, the opportunities for black students to go to Yale or Harvard or Princeton or Stanford. 
on their own, very, very Pretty limited. Old. And, uh, you know, things have changed. They're much better than that now. But, uh, that, but that's the legacy we're trying to correct for. We need to correct for. I had the opportunity about four years ago, uh, just this discussion prompted my memory of it, of spending a couple of hours with Congressman John Lewis over at his office. And, uh, you know, he's been on the front lines of this uh, uh, for years and uh, was severely beaten uh, crossing, crossing the bridge. And uh, he told me, uh, he reflected on great stories about Martin Luther King and just uh, just the, about the overall struggle. And I know John Lewis, uh, he's grappling through an illness right now as well, but he is, uh, he is really the testament of, of, of leadership. And, uh, you know, the distilled spirits industry uh, has a role to play in this as well. Uh, just recently, there's been news that's come out that for, uh, for Jack Daniels, one, one of the gentlemen that helped create Jack Daniels and come up uh, with, that, with that recipe uh, was an African-American gentleman. And there's a new distillery in Tennessee. Now, that's in Tennessee. So, but, uh, but, so our industry uh, is committed to doing our part as well. So, Congressman, uh, the distilled spirits industry and bourbon have uh, enjoyed a lot of great success in 2007, 2008. That was in the early days of really bourbon really rising to the forefront. Uh, 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 could, you, could you just tell us what uh, the growth of bourbon has meant to Kentucky and uh, Louisville for sure? Uh, you go back 10 years and uh, just how Louisville in, in itself has changed dramatically in, in bringing bourbon to the forefront. It is really the signature product, that and horse racing. For Kentucky, could you tell us how in Kentucky, uh, the bluegrass state, has enjoyed uh, the growth of bourbon over the last ten to fifteen years? Sure. Well, uh, the, the the bourbon boom has been a uh, godsend to Kentucky in so many ways. First of all, it, it's another part of Kentucky's identity. It's become. I mean, it always has been to a certain extent, but not to the extent it is now. When now, you know, I'm rarely on a plane coming back to, to Louisville where there's not uh, one or more groups on the plane who are coming down to do the bourbon trail, either the urban bourbon trail in Louisville or the, the major uh, distilleries bourbon trail. Uh, so it's become part of our culture and our, and our brand and in a very popular brand. Economically, I think when I formed the Bourbon Caucus, it was about a two and a half to $3 billion industry mm-hmm. in Kentucky. And it's now somewhere over $8 billion dollars. Uh, with the commensurate increases in employment. Uh, so it's been a, a huge contributor to uh, directly to uh, the economy. But then you add the tourism element, and the, the, the numbers are truly astounding. Uh, we opened a, uh, a wonderful hotel a year and a half ago in Louisville, the Omni Hotel. And I was touring with the manager, and he said, you know, we were projecting, this was in March of 2019, we were projecting for the rest of the year 52, 53% occupancy, and we're already at 75% occupancy. And I asked him, well, how much of that increase is attributable to bourbonism or to bourbon yeah, tourism? Bourbonism. Yep. Bourbon tourism, and he said, all of it. So that just, gives, that just gives you an idea. You know, there, we built 
20 to 25 new hotels in Louisville just in the last five years. And that's all partially attributable to tourism that uh, relates directly to bourbon. Absolutely. And I'm proud to say uh, Discus uh, had its first annual conference in February. Uh, We got through by the skin of our teeth uh, with, with the pandemic and so forth. But Obviously, we held it right there at that Omni, which is uh, just a testament of what's happening. And you can feel the bourbon. You can smell the bourbon when you walk in, <laughs> when you can walk into the lobby. And uh, if, and by the way, uh, at that conference, uh, Congressman Yarmouth, you were awarded a top shelf award, uh, really to thank you for uh, your leadership in advocacy for the, for the bourbon industry. Uh, our, our great industry is, has been challenged on a couple of fronts. Uh, certainly you're fully aware of the uh, retaliatory tariffs that we have been uh, channeling since June 2018. Uh, just today, we announced the two-year anniversary of that 25% tariff on American whiskey. And uh, we are working very, very hard uh, advocating both for the EU and the U.S. to get get to the negotiating table. Uh, and we appreciate all your support. And then your leadership with the Craft Beverage Modernization Tax Reform Act, which we'll be working, try to get that legislation made permanent. It is a lifeline for uh, many craft distillers around the country and all through uh, Louisville. Mm-hmm. Could you just tell us a little bit about some of the challenges related to the tariffs and uh, also the Craft Beverage Modernization Tax Reform Act, why right. that's so important for the, for, the, for the bourbon industry? Sure. Well, with regard to, to the tariffs, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get uh, partisan, but this yeah. is something that is directly related to uh, President Trump, that this is his... Um, it seems like he's the only one in government who really is is for creating these tariff conflicts. And uh, I hope that, of course, I hope that he's not the president next year. And I think that uh, if he's not, uh, we can do away with these tariffs. And, you know, obviously they don't affect the bourbon industry much on a domestic level. But most of the distillers you talk to will say their real opportunities for growth are overseas. Absolutely. They have begun to make real inroads in in Asia and, of course, in Europe. And this is a real setback for their expansion plans. And and most of the bourbon distillers over the last few years have really ramped up their production. So they they put far more bourbon in the barrels than they would need for just the domestic consumption. Uh, And the intent was those those are the ones that uh, that will go overseas. And so we we need to do away with that. and open up those markets. Uh, I think one distiller told me that in Asia, the tariffs that, that are coming down, uh, they're put on bourbon in Asia, actually raise the cost of a, a bottle by 50%. That's how, yeah. significant, that's how significant they are. So uh, again, this is, we really need to, to uh, reclaim all those opportunities, export opportunities, and we can't do it with high tariffs being imposed on us. Absolutely. We've seen a 33% decline. We work very closely with uh, the Kentucky Distillers Association and, and, and really uh, we're working hard to help encourage both the U.S. and the EU. You know what? If they got in the room and uh, had a couple of uh, cocktails, certainly bourbon in tow, 
uh, a lot of these big issues could be resolved. And thank you for all your support. The craft beverage bill, uh, you've been uh, a leader in Congress for that. Could you talk a little bit about the craft beverage bill and why it's so important? Yeah, well, bourbon is the most heavily, has been the most heavily taxed alcoholic beverage uh, uh, in the country. And that doesn't make any sense when you talk about something that was, uh, is our only indigenous spirit and something that should not be faced with that kind of kind of a disadvantage. So, and, and particularly when, first of all, so many different states are now trying to get in uh, to the bourbon business uh, that we've, we've seen so much of that. And I, I kid all of my colleagues when, when I see Colorado bourbon or uh, Oregon sure. bourbon or Florida and bourbon. They say, yeah, Florida, New York bourbon. You say, oh, you need to test our bourbon. I said, no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but but that's an indication of, of the potential across the country that so many entrepreneurs have seen an opportunity, and when you when you put a big tax on on them and make make the product not as competitive, that's not helpful at all. And uh, we want to we want to promote the growth of, of the industry and promote the expansion of this. We don't want four or five companies to be the only ones in this business. And, Absolutely. Uh, that's and and so much of the the allure of bourbon uh, has been the opportunity for people to try so many different ones and virtually every restaurant you go into in Louisville will have on the menu you can you order flights of bourbon so they'll have four or five different ones and obviously the more that are out there that you can sample the more fun it is uh, the more options you have and and again the, the mystique of bourbon becomes that much uh, greater. Absolutely. In 2004, you and Congressman Barr issued a proclamation by Congress, really recognizing bourbon as a distinctive yes. product of uh, the United States. Uh, and again, uh, on behalf of the bourbon industry, thank you. Thank you for your leadership on that. As you know, COVID has had a dramatic impact uh, on distillers, uh, certainly in Kentucky and all around the country. Many for a long time had to close their distilleries. Uh, the industry pivoted quickly and really have been on the front lines and combating COVID with making hand sanitizer. I'm sure that was a proud moment for you that uh, who would have thunk uh, the distilled spirits industry would be on the front lines of combating a pandemic, right? But it's been a proud time for our industry for sure. Right. And, and uh, so many want immediately, they said, you know, we're making alcohol every day. It's, we, we, don't need to, we don't need to learn how to make hand sanitizer. And it doesn't take uh, years in a barrel to, to produce it. So they, they wanted to pitch in immediately. And we ran into problems with, uh, with uh, FDA. The FDA. Yeah. And uh, they've taken a position which makes no sense to me. They, they think they're protecting kids as if kids are going to go out to buy hand sanitizer to drink it. I, I just yeah. didn't understand that. Uh, so it's been frustrating, uh, but, uh, but it is a, it is a, an indication of, of how civic minded and, uh, and socially conscious the distilling industry is that they wanted to pitch in right off the bat, something they didn't have to do. Absolutely. Congressman, I think uh, well over 850 distilleries around the country mm-hmm. have, have pivoted to make hand sanitizer. In the early days, uh, they were contributing it to uh, law enforcement and uh, mm-hmm. uh, the healthcare community uh, right. just because the demand was so great. Uh, but 
I think we could probably both agree uh, we'd all rather be making whiskey than hand sanitizer. So hopefully, if we keep hopefully making some progress on on COVID-19, we can get back to making whiskey full time. Right. So, and, you know, hopefully we can we can get that uh, that tax fix uh, put into the bill as it as it moves forward. Uh, I hope Senator McConnell will start uh, working on that the next COVID legislation and find a way to incorporate that legislate that tax legislation. Absolutely, we're going to be working on that, and uh, we have a grassroots platform called Spirit United. And Congressman uh, Discus launched it in August of last year, and today we've got thirty-three thousand people signed up from all around the wow. country. And they're uh, day by day, we keep building that up. And they're uh, advocates for for this great industry, uh, for Congress and state legislatures alike. And uh, uh, so, but look, the progress that Bourbon has made over the last fifteen years, despite some of the challenges, is really due to the leadership of of you, uh, Congressman Andy Barr, and others in the Kentucky delegation, uh, you fully recognize uh, the important role that bourbon has played for the economic vitality of the state in tourism, all of the above. Uh, okay, let's, so let's pivot and uh, d- uh, do some fun things if you can. Uh, sure. You know, I have said uh, when afforded the opportunity to talk to the media that if, if, if our lawmakers could uh, sit back and and have a cocktail. Uh, you know, maybe Republicans and Democrats alike. Uh, maybe we could make some progress in in really uniting the country, all in moderation, of course, and responsibly. But uh, when you've been in Congress, have you seen where a great glass of bourbon uh, can can help uh, get people uh, talking and uh, on the side of collaborating together? Yeah, well, talking, yes. Collaborating, not so much. It's hard. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really hard. And uh, you know, making, making policy in this environment uh, requires more than friendship. It, it actually requires, uh, well, it requires two things. One is uh, a willingness to compromise. Yeah. And unfortunately, in this political environment, nobody gets rewarded for compromising. You get penalized. And you get penalized politically. Yeah. Yep. And and the second the second part of it is that we need to have a, a recognition on both sides of the aisle uh, that government is not as Ronald Reagan used to say the problem, not the solution. Uh, again, government's not always the solution, but government usually has a role to play. And unfortunately, we've got a lot of people who just say. Uh, it's not government's job. And yeah. so they, they don't even really want to talk about the potential. So um, that's, we have different expectations from government, yeah. I guess is the better way to put it. And we, we, so we, we have far too many circumstances where one side puts a, puts out a bill and the other side says it's dead on arrival and they don't want to talk. Yeah. They don't even want to try to amend it to make it better. They just say, We'd rather nothing happen. And unfortunately, we've got a lot of problems in this country that we can't afford to say uh, nothing's going to happen, yeah. whether, whether it's climate change or education or um, immigration, immigration policy. Uh, those, those things are 
problems in America, which government has to play a role in fixing. And uh, we, do, we have to be committed to wanting to work on those. And too often, there's just not that willingness to work on stuff that's really hard. Yeah, and I think you're right. Uh, it is a political penalty if, if, if members of Congress on both sides of the aisle compromise and uh, uh, try to get try to meet in the middle. And I think that's one of the challenges that our country's been facing probably over the last 20 years, really, yeah. it yeah. seems. Congressman, yeah. if you could pick, if I may, uh, let me ask you a couple of fire round questions. Sure. Uh, two or three active Republican members of Congress that you would just pick out to enjoy a great bourbon cocktail with. Uh, any come to mind? Well, um, uh, the first one that comes to mind is Tom Cole, who's a Republican from Oklahoma. Great, great, who is, great. Who is patron. a member of the Bourbon Caucus. He loves bourbon. And uh, so we've had uh, on many occasions get bourbon <laughs> together. And, uh, He's a great man. Yeah. And really, really enjoy uh, conversation with him in, in general. Uh, one of the people I would mention, unfortunately, doesn't drink, is, is Rob Woodall from Georgia, who's yeah. retiring. And Rob's great guy. A great guy, and he's become a good friend, but I can't talk him into to, having to have sup, bourbon. It was the same, it was the same with, with Trey Gowdy. I, a lot of people will say, how in the world could you be friends with Trey Gowdy? I said, Trey Gowdy is a wonderful, warm funny guy not the one person you see on television sure but, but he doesn't drink either uh, yeah i would love to have, have bourbon with him some famous person out there some famous person that are alive that uh it could be an actor it could be uh, uh someone in our past history if you could just have a nice bourbon cocktail with anybody come to mind um benjamin franklin wouldn't that be sweet that would yeah. be a lot of fun Absolutely. He's kind of my go-to answer, dead or alive, to do anything with, except play golf. I don't think he did that. But, but just in terms of the, the, the way his mind worked and uh, the, the uh, incredible versatility of, of his mind, I can't imagine. And he loved to have a drink or two. So. And it was good fun, yeah. <laughs> did you watch the John the movie about John Adams? Uh, yes. That, oh, it was. <laughs> I watched it, and uh, Benjamin Franklin had a good time when he was hanging out over in Paris <laughs> while John Adams was trying to focus. Focus on the business. I'd love to have a bourbon with with Ben. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Congressman, on behalf of the Distilled Spirits Council and uh, distillers from all around the country, uh, big cheers for for you. And, uh, you know, our country's going through uh, awfully tough times, but uh, uh, we we appreciate your, your diligence and your perseverance and your leadership. I love that glass. And yep. uh, big cheers and to you, Congressman. Thanks, Absolutely. Chris. Uh, Cheers. And thank, thanks for your, your efforts as well. Uh, you're a great advocate, and uh, it's great to work with you and, and the industry. You got it. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. The Spirited Advocate Podcast was brought to you by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States. If you'd like to be a guest speaker on the show or send us topic suggestions to cover, please contact us at podcast at distilledspirits.org. And please like and share these episodes. Your support is very appreciated.